Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the second episode of 2021. Uh, Are you ready to turn in your seven-day trial of the new year yet? Are you ready to just say, sorry, free trial, I want my money back? Yeah, well, hopefully this episode will help. We have some good stuff here with Dr. Kimberly Majeski. Uh, She is an ordained minister in Church of God, and we have great conversation. We talk about, uh, she's a professor currently at Anderson University, which is uh, the seminary for Church of God Anderson versus Church of God Tennessee, if you are not sure about the distinction there. Uh, And so she's a professor there. We talk a little bit about what she does, uh, what she teaches. Um, but then she also has two other ministries that she has started. She's not currently, she's not serving in a pastorate, although she has done that in the past. Um, so one of her ministries she started, which was called Stripped Love, it's a 501c3, and she ministers to women who um, are being trafficked. And I think in particular, she works primarily with women who work in strip clubs uh, and prostitution. Uh, So it's domestic trafficking uh, versus foreign trafficking. And we talk a lot about that, uh, her team, what they do, how it got started. Just a fabulous ministry. Uh, And seeing how God is raising up the church in different communities across uh, the country and then uh, hopefully across the globe as I start looking to interview some international ministers. Uh, and then Preacher Girl School, she started three years ago, I believe it was, 2019. And this is for women who either, you can either be exploring your call to ministry or you know you have a call or maybe you're already ordained. Uh, and then even for women who, they know they're called to be leaders in their church, but not necessarily to pursue ordained vocational ministry. And she they she offers this, I think, four times a year. So there's a January session. I know it fills up quickly, but I would encourage you, if you think you might be interested, check out her website. I will put that in the show notes and at least get on the waiting list for the next session. We talk about it in the episode. And I think she does a March, a May, and then the next one is until September. So get on the waiting list so you can be part of this. It's great. And then we also talk about this idea of being prepared in season out and out of season to really be a student of the word, a student of the word in two sense. One, that Jesus is the word made flesh. So we want to be students of Christ uh, and then also students of the written word. And we get into some great theological discussions at different points throughout this. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. So check out the show notes because her website is on there with along with Preacher Girl School, but then also some suggested reading for you. Well, I asked her to give some suggested reading for people who are starting out in ministry, but any of these books will be good to read no matter where you are in ministry. If you're already ordained, doesn't matter if you're male or female, all of the books that are listed are written by women. Uh, Dear men who are listening, I encourage you to read more books written by women, especially theological books, books on ministry. It will help you to be more balanced 
uh, as women, we automatically read both genders. Typically in classes, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, most of the stuff that's assigned are written by men. So that's pretty much natural. It's a given if you're a woman in ministry, you're reading balanced material. Men, not so much. Uh, I find that they tend to be attracted to male writers. Uh, and so it will help you, even if you just start by reading one book a year that's written by a woman, it'll help you in balancing your ministry and hearing from different voices. So lots of good stuff. And I put out a plea for some names and recommendations. So if you know of a female minister, uh, international, so not uh, living in the United States, uh, I would love to have her on the podcast. So send me information about that person, maybe a little bit about them and their ministry and uh, a way to contact them. You know, We have 11 more months left of this year, but Jesus will walk with us every step of the way. So enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Now, you're a professor, right? Mm-hmm. Is that your primary role? Are you a professor? Are you on staff also somewhere? No, I'm a full-time professor at Anderson University. Yeah, so that's my primary gig. And then I had uh, started Strip to Love uh, 11 years ago. So I've been running this non-for-profit for about 11 years. And I just, at the end of this year, will be stepping out of the role of CEO. I'll still be founder and um, still be in the community and those sorts of things. I'll still be raising money and awareness, but I won't be running the day-to-day, you know, who's paying the bills and who's making sure the grant got written and all those things. I've kind of shifted that because Preacher Girl School has uh, kind of been stood up and that's taking a lot right. more of my time, those kind of things. So yeah. It's taking a lot more time. Um, okay. So let's talk about, so you're a full-time, and you're going to continue doing the full-time professor obviously. And that, and that pairs really nice with your preacher girl school, which we'll talk about, but at Anderson university and that's church of God, mm-hmm. Anderson. Yes. So what's your role? Like what, what's your, the main thing that you teach? You teach the master's program or. So I have a dual appointment. I, uh, I teach in the undergrad and the graduate school and I teach uh, new testaments and preaching. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Both of those, those are kind of my lanes. I teach, you know, in the Christian ministries area in preaching and homiletics. I teach Greek, which is both undergrad and graduate. And then I teach um, New Testament studies courses. So you, so you must have your PhD, DMIN. What do you have? I have a DMIN and I have um, all my coursework in PhD. I just have a, I'm doing a second dissertation. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. Just for kids. So what's your favorite to teach? I love exegesis courses, like deep dive into different biblical texts. Uh, I love, you know, where you can stay for a long time into particular literary genres or, or writings. Um, I particularly love teaching the revelation, the Pauline writings, uh, kind of looking at those sort of themes 
um, my sweet spot, of course, is uh, early church holy women, and particularly uh, those who were in the Pauline circle. Yeah. Um, really passionate about, I mean, just, and this is what my second dissertation is on, just kind of kind of trying to recover their story and where they went. They're so prominent uh, in the New Testament and in the text, and then they fall off the pages of history. Uh, I think it's, there's an agenda there. I think it was pretty intentional. Um, we can't prove that, but we can at least prove that there is this literary history about who they were, what they did, about the you know stamp of their legacy and lift that up and kind of uh, ask the questions about what if, you know, right. we can do that about Peter and Paul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no one wants to do that about Prisca. So right. that's kind of my mission to help us ask those questions and, and wonder about what uh, her life was and uh, her legacy was in the absence of, of real hard historical evidence, but in the presence of real literary evidence and, and traditional evidence. And, um, and we have some, I mean, we have some good uh, artifacts and, and fragmentary evidence and some other pieces that help us kind of put that together. So it's exciting. Yeah. Do you think Constantinian, that played a role when we all, when the church shifted into that more institutional well, I think actually it was earlier than that. I mean, the the downplaying of the role of women was earlier than that. We we see it happen with Irenaeus, with Tertullian, um, with even with Augustine. I think there's a real backlash. I think there's an argument to be made over the prominence that Mary Magdalene comes out of the story with, and Mary, um, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. comes out of uh, the resurrection with and that it's problematic for the sort of early church leadership and and yeah. that gets addressed pretty early on as early as the deuteropaulines and yeah. uh first timothy so oh yeah so that's kind of what my research is dealing with that in ephesus you have um the magdalene and mary the mother of jesus who go with john to ephesus Right. Then you have, um, so you have John, the apostle who's in Ephesus, and you have those two women. Um, we have fragmentary evidence that places Prisca there mm -hmm. um, with Aquila. And then um, we know from First Timothy, there's some sort of uh, issue with women in leadership. Right. And uh, then you have the whole Artemisian and that whole sort of battle and then Timothy ends up being bishop. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm looking at is what are those leadership, what is that push and pull? What is that discussion? What is the ensuing battle that kind of leads to, well, Timothy's the safe bet here. Right. Sorry, that's not what you want to talk no, about. That's, <laughs> no, that's good. I think that's true. I, you know, if we, if we look at um, where Paul has him circumcised, so, which, which is odd because then you have, uh, another place where Paul doesn't Paul say, and so-and-so wasn't even tempted to be circumcised. Right. So you've mm -hmm. got, so you have a very obvious conflict that's happening as they're moving from Jewish places where are primarily Jewish and places that are primarily Greek or Gentile, which voice ever is the loudest gets, 
<laughs> we're going to lean that way. And right. Yeah. And we, I mean, and even in the New Testament canon, we can see that there is a battle. Like there's in the Johannine letters, like it's clear, like there, who, who gets to lead here and who do we listen to and who do we not listen to? And right. In first Timothy, like, I don't permit these people to speak only these people. So they're trying to figure out like who, who are the people, what are the good reasons for that? And what are the, yeah. And here we are 2000 years later, still having the same problem. Mm-hmm. Who's qualified to speak and who's not. Right. <laughs> so you've been 11 years ago, you started the stripped of love ministry love. And, it's a, and it's an actual nonprofit. So you've got the whole 501c3, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yeah. Stripped love. It is a ministry to um, survivors of domestic sex trafficking and um, commercial sex exploitation. Yeah. Indiana is kind of a crossroads for sex trafficking. And <clears throat> we just happen to be kind of in a, a place where it's, um, I mean, this is rampant. I had no idea. I had no idea 11 years ago that it was such. I just had this prompting from the Lord to uh, love women who probably didn't know they were loved by God. Mm-hmm. There was a strip club, not a mile from the front door of my home church. And so one night we, after a lot of prayer and learning from some other sisters in the area in Ohio, who kind of did the same thing, we took a plate of cookies into this club and, uh, got to know the women. We started every Wednesday night after Bible study, we would bring meal to them and, before shift and we'd share dinner and we got to know them and became friends and, and really became family. And then uh, as we got to know more about the story and paid attention to what was happening around us and did research, really learned about sex trafficking and how it happens domestically, that it's not so much like what we see in the movie Taken as it is that women are bought and sold by men who they call their boyfriends. <laughs> And uh, it happens, you know, just every day uh, that uh, 90% of women who are in the sex trade, you know, don't want to be and want out if they could get out. Right. 100% of the women who are in the sex trade have, um, are prostitutes, um, have been sexually assaulted and abused and are being trafficked. Yeah. How many times we find ourselves in any kind of place we don't want to be and we don't even know how to get out how do you get imagine out? you know you don't have any family or any support any financial any financial uh, recourse you know someone else controls your money someone else is threatening uh, your child your little sister is holding fear over your head you grew up in abuse and don't believe you have any sort of sense of worth and that you know his yeah. love of you is all you will ever deserve or earn. So your oppressor is also your protector and you're caught up in this sort of story of bondage and there just seems to be no way out. That's what we call our ministry stripped love because we believe that love is all that matters and we want them to experience the love of God. And when they experience that pure um, transforming love that they begin to kind of wake up and see that what what their experience in these other relationships is not real love. Right. And then kind of one out of that. So many of any, anyone who's experienced some kind of domestic violence, um, 
they just don't know that there's a new normal. I, I remember hearing a friend of mine say, I remember the day when I realized my life wasn't normal in, in the sense of there's a better way to live. People should treat you better. Um, that's not what love should look like. So what do you, so how, I know you said it started with just cookies and a meal. So what is it now after 11 years, what does it look like now? Like what are some of the components that uh, your team implements? We talk about outreach, um, advocacy, and awareness, uh, connection, advocacy, and awareness. We, what we want to do is be a bridge between uh, church and club. We think we need each other. Yeah. We, believe that, we believe that folks in the church need to know the stories of the people in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't think that what Christ is calling us to do is to picket line clubs down the street, but to take a plate of cookies and to love our neighbors and to get to know them and their stories. You know, we believe it's imperative that what we do as Strip Love is help tell the story of these women. They have been so, um, their stories have been so misunderstood. No young woman ever dreams of um, becoming a prostitute. Mm -hmm. Uh, these women are seen as sirens and seductresses. And uh, so it's very easy for the church or Christendom to look down on them, to judge them, um, when in fact they are victims <laughs> of, of uh, generational poverty, of circumstantial poverty. They grew up in cycles where they themselves were abused as children um, because their mothers were addicted to drugs or their fathers were addicted to drugs or their mothers were prostitutes uh, and they grew up in the cycle of abuse. And so um, those wounds never got healed. And so they, you know, live in situations where they don't have access to health care or an education and they um, fall into promiscuous relationships and those are abusive. And so it is just the cycle that builds and builds and builds until, you know, what we want to do is get in the way of those kinds of relationships. So we learned a few years in that what was really important was that, um, that we stop the cycle. Right. And uh, that most of the women that we serve had children. We started out, our whole plan was just outreach. It was just going into the clubs and meeting the women but because we began to hear their stories and hear about this cycle and know they had children, we, we took their advice. I mean, women that we had helped out and helped transition kind of said, yeah, the, their children is the way to their hearts. And so um, we started building our programming around their children. So what we do now is um, we still have the outreach. I mean, in the absence of COVID. Right. So we have outreach in clubs and in local shelters, because shelters have become recruiting grounds uh, for pimps. Uh, So we have outreach and um, that is, it depends on the club and it depends on the shelter because they have their different rules. Um, But that means we go in and we bring um, small gifts and just kind of routine and radical visits. It can be anywhere from um, every two weeks to once a month, it depends on the rules of the club. Right. Uh, and then we have a monthly gathering that is centered around kids. We kind of call it a um, fun for kids and a coffee break for moms. We call it second Sunday. It's the second Sunday of the month because they don't, the clubs aren't open on Sundays. 
Oh yeah. We have dinner and some sort of fun activity for the kids. It can be anything from friendly first responders come in or we'll have the Taekwondo, you know, group from town come and teach them moves or a basketball guy come into, you know, we have a, a friend whose husband uh, played on the Harlem Globetrotters and he comes and teaches them about character and how to, you know, something fun for the kids. And then we have, we say coffee break for moms, but it's essentially a support group, but you just can't call it that. Right. Um, but just a connection. Uh, we talk about things. Maybe we do a craft. Maybe we create something. We usually will have a speaker come in and talk about jobs or about dreams or we'll do vision board. I mean, just, you know, depending on the theme or the focus. And yeah, so we do that once a month. And then we have two big giftings that we do through the year. We do a back to school bash, which is a huge carnival. And the kids come and what's different about strip love is we live in relationship with these people. So I know every kid's name and I know where every kid goes to school. Um, I know their grade and not just me, my team. Right. And so we pick their sheet for second grade at Erskine and we shop for their entire school list. Wow, awesome. Imagine being the mom who can't buy your kids school supplies. Or imagine being a kid starting school and you don't have all the crayons you need. Yeah. So you don't just come to this party and pick up notebook paper on a, on a table. You come and little Johnny goes and picks up his bag with everything he needs for second grade at Erskine in Mrs. Um, Jones's class, you know. And then he gets to pick out a bath, you know, his own backpack that he loves. And there's face painting and jugglers and games and a bounce house, and you know. And then, then we do Christmas love. And that's when we, we have the kids write out their wish list to Santa and put it in a North Pole thing the months before. And then we get sponsors and we get everything on their Christmas wish list. And we have it ready and packed in a bag and the moms pick it up and the moms pick up while the kids are at a winter wonderland party. And the moms pick out wrapping paper and ribbon and stockings and they take it home and wrap it up from them. You know, we just say our spiritual gift is shopping. And uh, so, so we provide that for them. Those are some of the things that we do. Um, we have a huge ball in the spring, our legends ball, where we celebrate women who have been legends in our community and, and raise funds and awareness to just kind of share and, and the stories. And we invite, we, we take turns, like which women get to come because we want to celebrate them too. And right. We love them. We celebrate them this year. Of course, COVID we had, we delivered all the gifts to their houses. And so that was lovely too. That was right. that was a wonderful. That's awesome. Have you seen any of the women be able to transition out into? Oh, yes. Yeah. We on average see about at least five of them transition out about every year. It's kind of a matrix, you know, they, they move forward and they move backwards. Yep. Um, so they'll get out and then they go back. Yeah. Um, many of them. Um, but yeah, we, we see about five a year who get out and stay out and who, you know, find gainful employment and, and take those steps into uh, sustain a life of, of stability for them, for their kids. So we're proud of that. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, some of it you won't see, but I guess after 10 years, 11 years, you see some of it cycle broken, the generational cycles broken. You know what, John, we have, um, I have one, we have one survivor who is 
um, studying right now for her doctorate um, in psychology. Uh, We have one who is a phlebotomist. We have one who has launched a business. She's an artist and we helped her launch her business. She, she does a, you know, like the wine and canvas thing. Oh yeah. I looked one of those. And even when COVID hit, she, she made kits and she sells them. So you can, you can buy a kit even, you know, just to watch her entrepreneurial journey, even, you know, so we have all sorts of success stories. Um, but for us, the success is the relationship, the connection and, um, being able to, to go deep with women, um, in their pain and their suffering, uh, because we, we get to connect with Jesus there. Did you grow up in the church? I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I haven't, I'm going to say this, but I'm not sure if I agree with myself or not, but I, I have just found so many who grew up in the church who don't have the compassion um, oh yeah <laughs> and you have and it, it seems to be quite often when I hear people start ministries like this it's because you know they're a survivor they're a survivor and they mm-hmm. so they have out of their own experience compassion and empathy so I think it's it's just I guess reassuring for me to hear someone who was raised in the church who has that same level of compassion and empathy and mm-hmm. is out there doing it you know along with the rest of your team so uh, that it encourages me as a, as a lead pastor. Sometimes I'm discouraged by those who have grown up in the church and seem to have less compassion than those who found yeah. Christ later. I don't know. This is something in your podcast, but to tell you the truth, I, um, when I was in seminary, I lost my little sister. Um, she was 27 and she just died like flu. I mean, just crazy. Three right. babies, seven four and six months. And that just, you know, my world just exploded. Yeah. And, um, I think that that just drove me to a, uh, I, w- I wasn't angry at God, but I mean, I just, it, 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 it altered my theology. If you want to say the, the whole notion that maybe you and I are so many people in, in Protestant, certainly in Wesleyan holiness, uh, if we can follow the rules enough, nothing bad will happen to us. If we pray hard enough, if we're good enough girls, mm-hmm. holiness, perfection, if I can do that uh, good enough, then then I can escape tragedy. And boy, I didn't. Right. And then I, I lost my mother and then my sister's son uh, in a tragic accident. So like in 11 winters, I had these in my family, you know, my close knit. And, uh, so that really, that really altered the way that I understood God and goodness and my faith, the reason why we were here, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and so this idea that any of us were going to escape suffering, there was this connection for me with women who were suffering yeah, that I couldn't find in the church that was redemptive. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of accolades for, oh, I'm so glad you did this. But honestly, they saved me because it was something that I could do with my pain and with my faith that was redemptive and and positive and um, connected 
when everything sort of in church world was falling flat. Do you know? Yep. If I sat through one more sermon where God is good all the time, like I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't take one more bumper sticker sermon, pithy statement, you know, like I just, I had pieced out of all that. So I kind of, I kind of found my way back to God, you know, in, in a strip club, oddly enough, because it was raw and real and there were no pretenses and it was, it was a place where people were honest about their struggle and I I could relate to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And now you're, before we talk about your preacher girl school, you, well, we just talked about you growing up in the church when, and you're ordained in the church of, in church of God. Yes. Um, so how did that come? Was this an early call that you received later? I mean, I'm guessing, cause you're, if you're already working at your PhD, you're pretty young. I mean, 47. All right. Well, in a ripe old age of almost, I'm on the backside of 40. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. So I grew up in the church of God. I, I made a decision follow Christ very young. I, I, I was the leader in my youth group. And, and then I had a huge long rebellion, like you do, like the holiness girls do, you know, when they find out um, there's a world out there. And uh, I actually, my, uh, I, my degree, my, my bachelor's is in political science. And I um, worked in politics for a while. I worked for a United States congressman. I worked for um, a major political party. I worked for the uh, majority leader in uh, the Tennessee General Assembly, and then uh, just found it all to not be what I thought. <laughs> right. I took my vacation and volunteered at the church camp where I had grown up and uh, was called into ministry, which was wow. a total U-turn, sunk my life. So from there, I, yeah, I uh, started working on my ordination and, and gave my whole life and heart over to what God wanted, um, God's plan. Uh, not long after I fell in love with my husband, we got married, we came to seminary at um, Anderson University, uh, because that's the school of my uh, church, right? It's the only seminary in the church of God. Finished my MDiv, became a campus pastor. I had been a, a pastor in Tennessee. I was a, a youth pastor and then an associate pastor and uh, came to seminary and uh, worked for the women of the Church of God, traveled and spoke and did women's events and women's ministry. And then I, uh, I took the position of campus pastor at Anderson University and worked on my uh, doctorate and finished that and then went on um, full-time as, as faculty. So yeah, I was ordained sometime, you know, in the 90s, I think, or 2000 maybe. <laughs> I've been an ordained pastor for a, a long time, really found a home in, in the academy. I believe in the academy and its service to the church. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm troubled that the two don't speak in the Nazarene church, I think you all do such a much better job of it. Uh, we don't. Uh, your cousins over here in the church of God, uh, we don't. And uh, that's grievous to me. But I I want the academy to serve the church. Right. And so that's my heart. And that's what I try to do. 
So I do a lot of pre-COVID. I do a lot of church events and camp meetings and retreats and ministers meetings and assemblies. And I'm very passionate about taking my scholarship to the church to help train and equip and challenge and um, prepare the church. Yeah. So how did you, so how did Preacher Girl School get started? I kind of looked at the landscape of um, a lot of women who I knew who were in a position where they, you know, were leading groups or, um, you know, had the opportunity to lead a Bible study or, you know, the pastor said, hey, can you share this Sunday? Or they felt like they couldn't preach. They didn't know how to do it. And I thought that's, that's not good. You know, I I mean, there are a lot of women who are called to ministry who, whose voices we need in this moment, who simply don't have the time, money, or resources to attend a four-year graduate school. Right. And I don't know if it's news to you, uh, Joanne, but like that whole track anyway is, I mean, fewer and fewer people are saying, yeah, I'm committing to that anyway. So I just looked at the landscape and was like, well, what could I do to help equip women? Like I teach preaching. Like if I, I know how to teach preaching. I I know how to do that. And um, I'm passionate about it. I'm a good preacher and I, I know how to help women find their way. And here's my, you know, my particularity with it is I always say, you know, when I started preaching at the ripe old age of 23, I had men who loved me, who gave me opportunities. Many women don't have that. Right. Right. But my, my folks saw that in me, gave me opportunities, but all I needed to do was to mimic them. All I needed to do was to mm-hmm. see how they did it. And they're teaching me how they did it. And I, and I would get up and I would try to do what they were doing. And I felt like David in Saul's armor. It didn't fit. It wasn't right. It was confining and it was, it was foreign. And here I am in front of 200 people, knowing I have this gift, knowing this is my call, nervous wreck because I'm exposed. P.S. Here's the thing. When you're learning to preach on the job, you're not right. like in a closet with people you love helping you, right? You're exposed. It was just, it was just soul crushing. So I thought I want to afford this experience where women can be safe and loved, affirmed, and given this opportunity to try on shoes and walk around in them mm-hmm. without their board members and congregation looking on. And to find, you know, stylistically places that feel like home for them. So I know I'm a storyteller and I'm a, I'm a narrative preacher. So when I locked into that and learned I could be that, I could be a storyteller preacher, I was home. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. But when I'm trying to do a three-point deductive sermon, <laughs> right? Men, I was like, So my whole thing is, you know, this is about the feminine art of preaching. And this is about finding your unique voice. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can find your unique voice, then that authentic experience that happens in you will happen in your listener. Right. And it's, it's, it's this spirit filled supernatural exchange, you know? Right. So that's, that's what this is. It's a, it's a six weeks course and it's totally designed for busy women holding up the world. You know, these are mom, I'm a mom. I don't have time, you know? So there's a a bibliography. You can read it when you have time. You can't read it in the course. Fine. Read it, read one course, one book in the course and read the rest of them the rest of the year, you know, but you have them on your shelf. It's there's, you don't have to turn anything in. There are no grades in preacher girl school, right? You're doing this for yourself, but you know, the challenge is to work on a sermon, submit it to me and I'll give you some notes. There's one-on-one coaching. Um, every week we have uh, a live Q and a, so they can interact with me about the content that they've had in the video so that they can ask their questions or, you know, say whatever they're struggling with. What happens is this community forms and, you know, women who are solo preachers in Butte, Montana, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, Orissa, India yep. have sisters now. And that's the beauty of it. And then they're invited once they complete it into Preacher Girl University. And that's kind of this, that's kind of this community, this network that we kind of just stay in for the sisterhood, for the shared resources and networking and and meetups, you know, when we travel again and, and those kind of, it's been very life-giving for me and uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I have a new round opening enrollment opens January 1st and the course starts on January 11th. I offer four rounds each year and 20 spots um, per class. And so I'm excited. I did in full of hope for what this can be for so many women this year. Yeah, that's a nice, and that's a nice size group. Not too many, but enough yeah. that you don't feel on the spot. Yeah, and I'm. I'm gonna. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes so people yes, can. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so we'll see. The January class fills up pretty quickly. We we also will have. We do one in March, one in May, and then one in September. And this is both for women who are moving towards ordination and who don't feel called to ordination, but our leaders, right? And yes, we have all, I mean, people of all stage. I mean, we, I've had women who've been pastors for 30 years yeah, who just never had a course on preaching, right? You know, who've been doing it and who said, I would just love, you know, to learn some things or to learn some new things. You know, you're right. I just, I've done it how my dad taught me how to do it, you know? Right. Um, or I'd like to learn some new things about, you know, where to find new scholarship or where, you know, how to do research in this new era. Uh, because I believe very deeply. I, I mean, I, I press that research piece really, really, right. um, really, really pretty, pretty hard, you know, that you you can't be a good preacher of the word if you're not a good student of the word. So I want them to learn how to study the Bible, um, how to research what sources to look for and what are not approved. Uh, so, um, so that's a big, a big piece of the course. I have students who just got out of seminary. I have students who've never preached a sermon. I have students who are children's pastor who will do one a, a year. I have some who are, you know, worship pastors who just, you know, want to lead a small group. I have women who are just 
um, not sure, but you know, another part of the course is, you know, the first part is just your call, like the, this confidence in your call, like what is the story of your call? And just giving folks permission to say like, that can look different. It looks different in the scripture, right? Peter, right. Paul, Magdalene, they all have different stories. They're all called, you know, talking through that with them. So yeah. um, it's good and it's, it's special and it feels, um, it feels like a real gift at this point in my career to, to be a part of something like that. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Uh, and I know that there'll be people who are listening who will be interested. So uh, I'll definitely include that. And you have, I saw you had swag on your thing. So that's fun. I might yes. have to get myself one of those. Shirts. Everything <laughs> is at KimberlyMajeski.com. But yeah, you can put it in the, in the notes. Yeah, we have t-shirts, um, Preacher Girl swag. I did this um, t-shirt. It has like, you know, Magdalene, Prisca, Junia, like, like, here's the thing. I, and you know, this as a pastor, like we're a part of this legacy of this long line of preaching women. Mm-hmm. People don't talk about it and we don't celebrate it and we don't draw it out. But I mean, like they are there and I want to celebrate it. Like this idea didn't start with me or you or with the holiness movement. It goes back. I mean, talk to Miriam, right? Mm-hmm. Who's out there giving her song and said, yes, I'll help you, Moses. It's this is ancient and old, and God has always used women, and um, we're just continuing the work. Amen. All right. So, for women who are thinking about, usually I ask for advice, but I'm thinking recommended reading for women who uh, have a call. Maybe, maybe it's even a couple of things from your your six week module. The one that I wanted to recommend. I wrote a chapter in, it's called okay. Called to Ministry, Empowered to Serve. It kind of goes through scripture and talks about the legacy and deals with passages. And that's a good, just sort of have in your pocket kind of, of item. I love anything Barbara Brown Taylor ever oh, yeah. wrote. <laughs> if you, if you don't have everything she's ever written, you have to get it. She's a narrative preacher and she wrote a, um, the preaching life. I think it was in 1993, but it's still like everything. Yeah. I love Jane Childers birthing a sermon, the creative process. Yeah. I talk about, um, preaching as midwifery. And so that really sits strong and deep with me. An awesome illustration too. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, Anna Carter Florence preaching as testimony. I think Rachel Held Evans inspired was really good to just help folks kind of understand how to read scripture. You know, that it's, I always say if I was a pastor in a, in a church and I was doing a Wednesday night Bible study, I would do one on ancient literature. Let's talk about how you read ancient literature, right? Yeah. So I don't know how many you want. Those are a few that come to my mind. Yeah. I was talking to someone who's doing a Bible study, not in my church, um, but they're doing a Bible study in Job. I said, now, please just remember it's a poem. Please remember the poem. Do not teach it like it's historical. Mm -hmm. That helps us a lot. I think it does. It really does. (laughs) 
yeah, I think if we just had uh, get everyone to understand like just the genre that they're reading and would be a, a huge improvement. You know, like there's this map, like, like this is written out of a certain type of literary history, right? Like read Homer, right? Like this is what we're yeah. trying to do here or, you know, and I could talk for days. Oh yeah. Any advice or any words of wisdom that you want to share? I don't know, something that's a, whether it's just something that's on your heart right now or a pet peeve or whatever, you know, we all have kind of our, that red thread that runs through our lives. So, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my thing is always, you know, um, preach the word in season and out with careful instruction. You know, I believe in careful instruction. I think that we've done a great harm. We've done a great harm to the cause of Christ uh, because we haven't taken the time for careful instruction. I care deeply about the study of scripture. I've devoted my life to the study of scripture. And, you know, yeah, I would just invite folks who dare to stand in the space to speak on behalf of God, to read it again. I just think if you, if you, um, you know, I hear people say, you know, Jesus was not political, you know, we'll read it again. Right. Um, I think that um, in these times, it's it's critical that we read it again. If we if we see ourselves as folks who would be called on to to preach the gospel, then it's incumbent upon us to do the work of careful instruction. So I'm committed to helping folks do that. Like my life and call is to challenge and equip the church to you know, challenge and equip women to Mm -hmm. raise their voices. If one of my students can just pause and remember that the serpent is never called Satan. It's just the serpent. Mm -hmm. Not project what we think is there onto the text and just let the text be the text. And um, then, then I will have done my due. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to do with my life. You know, help people, remember to devote themselves um, to, to the study of the word, to, to the spirit-led study of the word. Because if we, if we think it's a weapon, then we've missed the, the point. Right. And we need to read it again. My New Testament professor said, um, if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. Oh, yeah. I don't think there were ever any truer words. Right. Yeah, I know. We have to stop interpreting Jesus through Paul and start interpreting Paul through Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we evangelicals have made Paul the Messiah instead of Jesus. Yeah. And I don't even join, like, I can't even, I don't even know what to do about evangelicals. I mean, like, I know what that means on paper. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, now I, I, I'm very clear as I'm Wesleyan holiness. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, because I, I want to be, I want to be faithful to, I believe um, that the kingdom is to be realized through how, what Jesus spoke and inaugurated and, and began yep. uh, in AD 30 to 33. And uh, I want it to be evident in my life. And uh, I believe it means the reconciliation of all things. We live in hope. We do live in hope can't take that away from us yet. Well, thanks for 
doing this with me today. Thank you. We've got a lot of good stuff and I'm going to work on editing it and I'll send you like a, I'll send you a message. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm thrilled. And I was, I would love to do some kind of collab. Um, I know you're out there and collared chicks and a couple of others. So I'm going to be sending something out, some kind of, um, maybe we can do some kind of cult follow collab, you know, um, giveaway thing. Be fun. Well, I have so many good friends, Nazarene friends. So um, Carla Sunberg and Beth. Crossing, she's, I mean, you, you guys have, I mean, I have so many good Nazarene friends, uh, you know, between the justice movement and Wesleyan holiness, I have, Great. I have lots of, yeah, you got lots of good ones in your, in your tribe, Kimberry Jones and everybody at PLNU. So, yeah. Yeah. I just had, uh, uh, Rebecca Laird on the podcast. So oh, good. Yeah. Thank you, Joanne. All right. I'll talk to you soon.